What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee, welcoming you to another episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 101. Thank you all for supporting me through the first 100 episodes. Here's to another 100 episodes and so much more. We've got an amazing show this week. The NBA playoffs are underway. So to discuss playoffs and the Wizards GM search, a friend of the program, Troy Halliburton, is making his return to the show. We've got so much to discuss. Plus, it is the final six episodes of Game of Thrones. I am going to unleash my final predictions. How do I feel about the last season of Game of Thrones? Who makes it? Who survives? And ultimately, who sits on the Iron Throne? I'm going to give you my predictions for Game of Thrones final season. All that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. Without question, the biggest sports story of the past seven days was Tiger Woods winning the Masters, breaking his major championship drought, fulfilling this huge comeback story, and inching that much closer to breaking Jack Nicholas, Jack Nicholas's major championship record or tying it at 18. And everyone was celebrating, man. Sunday, Monday morning, it was cool seeing everyone kind of bask in the joy of watching Tiger achieve something that just a few months, a few years ago, felt to the vast majority of onlookers that was, I thought he was done. I thought he was about to retire. And I'm not someone who considers themselves a golf expert. I don't consider myself a novice, right? I like going to the range. It's fun. I've golfed in the past. It's it's incredibly, you know, frustrating. And I get why people would be addicted to the game because it always keeps his foot on your neck, right? And he connected to the masses in a way that not too many other athletes have ever had the ability to. I understand all of that. So there are a lot of things that I want to dissect when it comes to Tiger Woods. But you have to know this first. This has to be the reference point for me. If you are listening to me, when I talk about Tiger Woods, you got to know this first. This is like the North Star. You got to collect, you know, you got to get everything situated first. The reference point, right? Is that I can't stand that motherfucker, Joe. I cannot stand Tiger Woods. So that's the grain of salt. It's a large block of salt. You got to know what time it is, right? But I don't like that. I don't like him. Can't stand Tiger Woods. Never liked him. You feel me? My entire timeline, every Sunday where he is competing over the last two years or so, right? Where every Sunday where he's competing, my timeline is flooded with people who I know don't watch golf like that because when Tiger's not competing, it mums the word. There may be three or four people on my timeline, not like big sports personalities, right? But just people that I know who will talk about golf religiously year round. But on Sunday and last year when he was competing as well, oh my God, you think that my timeline is full of Greg Normans and Chichi Rodriguez's. You know what I'm talking about? But that's that's the that's part of the 
acclaim of Tiger Woods. He's got that this large gravitational pull to the sport of golf. So when he is even competing, the sport becomes that much more interesting. He resides in a place where very few athletes ever make it. And I'm not comparing the two because it would be lazy and, and I don't think there's much of a comparison. I'm much of a I'm much more of a bigger boxer so I can talk more intelligently about boxing. But Floyd Mayweather is similar where he usurps the sport. There are more people who are aware of Floyd Mayweather. There are more people who have seen a Floyd Mayweather fight than a boxing fight. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like he's bigger than the sport. Tiger Woods exists in the same realm. They're bigger than the sport. I don't know. I don't think LeBron is bigger than the sport. You know, Tom Brady's not bigger than football. Michael felt like Olympic athletes also exist because Olympic sports are really only popping. Like, we only really pay attention to certain Olympic sports during the Olympics. So, for Michael Phelps or Katie Ledecky or Usain Bolt, they also live in that world, but it, it's a bit different because we watch like golf is a part of the consciousness, a part of our psyche. Serena Williams also exists in this way. They are bigger than their sports. So they have this, this unmeasurable right, influence on everything. So when Tiger Woods is competing, he doesn't even have to win. But just the mere presence of him on a Sunday changes the entire complexion of who watches, the advertisers, and how big and how meaningful these events become. And that can't be kind of dismissed. That's a That talks about the greatness of Eldrick. I don't rock with him. And let me make this perfectly clear. I, his politics mean nothing to me. I don't like or dislike entertainers based upon their politics. Don't care, right? If we were, if we were to be honest, I'm sure that there are people... Maybe it's someone at your job that you're cool with. Not like your partner, like your super partner, right? But somebody that you're cool with. You go to happy hour, chill out. Maybe there's somebody at your church, somebody at your gym that you, you know, you like, you're cool with. Y'all can talk about sports or whatever the case may be. There are probably people scattered throughout your life who don't have the same politics, don't share your same political views. I know for, I'd be willing to bet Damn near everything I got that me and Tiger don't see eye to eye on political slash social views. But I don't care. That doesn't bother me. That's not why I don't like Tiger. I could care less. I couldn't care less about how he views certain things. But one thing that I have felt that is not to shoot him bail, but I think it's kind of sick, man. Some of the criticism that Tiger gets is because of his infidelity in the past. Maybe I'm jaded. Maybe I'm just a pessimist. I don't know. But I look at some people and the harsh criticisms they have about Tiger because of his family issues, right? The part of his quote-unquote comeback that was self-inflicted. People take shots at him because of infidelity and, you know, mar marital issues. I'm looking at people like, y'all are incredibly naive. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Maybe that's why I'm not married. But I look at Tiger, I, I, his personal life is none of my business. It's none of your business. Now, 
he, in my opinion, foolishly tried to bring people into his personal life as he was trying to figure everything out. My whole thing was slim. Do your do you right? If you try to get back on the golf course, get your golf game right. If everything else is falling apart, no, no one in the media, no one in the sports world, no one needs to know. I think that that was a a, a foolish mistake on his part and his his circle and trying to be like, hey guys, you know I messed up, but I'm I'm still this wholesome. Nah, so. I looked at Tiger Woods. I'm like, bro, you're the biggest sports star in the world. You're one of the three to five biggest sports stars in the world. I figured that everybody thought that Tiger was running wild on these streets. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have him knocking down IHOP waitresses. You know, I, I don't know what his game, I don't know where he learned that part of the game, but whatever. But I feel like so many people are attacking him in his character through, you know, his personal issues, and I'm thinking, like, come on, Slim. He without sin, right? So that whole thing was nasty. Even though I dislike Tiger, right, my dislike for him has nothing to do with his personal issues or his personal vices because we all have something. You know what I'm saying? So if you were one of the people who stopped liking Tiger because he cheated on his wife, I don't know, Slim. I look at you super crazy. I look at you super nuts, right? But even though I dislike Tiger Woods, even though Sunday I was rooting for him to fail, <laughs> hey, hey, bro, I'm not proud to say it. I just don't like the Bama. I ain't want him to win. I'm going to keep it all the way funky with y'all. I, I just don't like him. But that being said, Eldrick's story, even as someone who was critical of him, even as someone who is not a fan, never have, has been a fan, there is something extremely inspirational about what he achieved this past Sunday. And on that level, just on that soul level, I think no matter how you feel, and there are a lot of people who do feel like I do, and there are a lot of people who love Tiger Woods and will always love him, whatever the case, there is something to be pulled from that. But everyone is doubting you. I'm sure he doubted himself. Everything around your life seemingly is falling apart. You stay committed, you stay focused, and if you truly want something, right, you can attain it within means, right, within, within measure, right? I think that that's something that's incredible. And sports are like one of the very few arenas in which you can see that play out in real time. Stranger than fiction, bro. It's amazing when you think about it. And... We should all be able to put our personal feelings aside about any one particular person or athlete. Let's just keep it to athletics. There are a lot of people who don't like LeBron James, right? I'm not judging you. You do what you want to do, bong. You know what I'm saying? LeBron is one of my favorite, if not my mo my favorite athlete ever. He's definitely my my. Favorite athlete who is not from Virginia or has ties from to the New York Knicks. You know what I'm saying? But you see with his I Promise Charter School and in one year kind of the success that they have had with their first generation of students. You don't have to like LeBron. You don't have to like the Lakers. You don't have to like him being a, a, a high maintenance diva, if you will, to be like, dog, that's super dope. 
Like that's something that universally should be applauded. It isn't. And we have a, we could go we could go on for hours about why, but it should be. I don't like Tiger Woods. It has nothing to do with his politics. It has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, what he did in his private life with his family. That's none of my business. I don't like him for stuff that he did years ago and how he views certain things that I think are critical. But I can look at what he achieved this past Sunday and be like, dog, how dope is that? <laughs> even though my hating ass was was pulling for old boy. I don't even know his name. I never even heard of this dude with start last name starts with M. I don't even know who he is. I was rocking. I like Slim. Come on, baby. Let's keep this pressure up. Even though I was rooting against Tiger. Now, even in the moment, I was like, dog, that's powerful stuff. Forget about all the personal drama. Even for a second, put his physical, right, rehabilitation to the side, the back injuries, and trying to fight through all of that, which is has to be a daunting task. Thank God I've never had, knock on wood, I've never had any type of significant body injury. Because I can only imagine, I've heard people who've had back surgery before, and they say it's the worst. So forget about overcoming actually the physical pain that has to go and coincide with having surgery on your back as an athlete. The substance abuse, that is powerful, especially in today's day and age where there's so many vices readily available. You can get something, a pill, by ordering online, calling a number. Your doctor will give you medicine that could very well easily put your life in danger. He overcame that, all of that, to reach a singular goal, a focus that he has had since he's been a child, it seems. Like, dog, that has to be, you don't have to like Tiger Woods to feel something about that. So, I'm not going to shout him out, because even though I've been inspired, it's still, I'm not rocking with Eldrick. Nah, he got one. He'll probably get another. I don't know if he gets 18, but damn it, I don't care. But for one brief moment in time, no matter your feelings about the sport of golf, no matter your feelings about Eldrick, I'm trying my hardest not to call him Tiger, man. He don't deserve that. Tiger too cool, cool of a name for boy, for buddy. You understand? I, so I'm trying my hardest not to call him Tiger. But Eldrick, no matter how you feel about him, if you just look at what he overcame, much of which was self-inflicted, granted. But some of it wasn't. Much of it wasn't. And that he was able to block all the noise out. He was able to fall, fall publicly, fall hard on his face and keep falling and keep failing and keep struggling and doing it in front of all of us, but didn't quit, kept on fighting and got back to, you know, one of the best golfers in the world and got one of his goals. No matter where you stand on him personally, no matter where you stand on the sport, no matter if you're a sports fan, that story is inspirational. All right, so it's time for me to stop this quarter. I'm going to run, take a shower real quick because I feel so dirty that I gave so much praise to that man. You know, but before we move on to the second quarter, make sure you guys hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E Show. Let me know. Are you guys fans of Eldrick? 
just off the rip. Do you guys root for him? Because just talking about him is fascinating because there have been a lot of people discussing his victory and then how conflicted they feel about cheering for him, right? So I want to hear from you guys, you know what I'm saying? Because, like I said, biggest sports story this week. I put my feelings about Buddy on the table. And in spite of that, I can still be inspired. I know he has a lot of fans, a lot of fans who probably listen to my show. So hit me up on Twitter at Quarterly Show or email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. Again, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on Tiger. Were you happy that he won the Masters? Do you think he'll break or even tie Jack Nicklaus's record? Or are you like me? It's like, man, get Buddy out my face. All right, y'all. I got to go cleanse myself. Burn some sage. Get the, get the, you know, align my chakras or whatever, dog. I got to change the feng shui. But when I return, second quarter. Second quarter. Yeah, y'all know what time it is. Another fight night this weekend. But this fight night is a bit different, man. This isn't a celebratory fight night. This is a fight night where... I'm also I'm feeling for both parties involved. I'm I'm feeling sorry. I'm scared for Amir Khan because that boy's going to get hurt this Saturday night. If you don't know, Amir Khan, who has not fought in two and a half years, the last time we saw Amir Khan in a ring, Canelo Alvarez laid his ass out. I think maybe Amir Khan died for 20 seconds because he was done. Popped back up, eyes in the back of his head. He took two and a half years off. And who is he fighting? Just possibly one of the best fighters in the world. Do you, do you understand how crazy this is? I, I, I was trying to set the table. But so many of you all who are not big-time boxing fans, I appreciate you all listening to the show if you are not a boxing fan because I talk about boxing a lot. For those of you all who are new to the show, boxing is my second favorite sport behind only the NBA there is a massive drop-off between number two and whatever number three is. My two favorite sports are the NBA and boxing, and by and large, those are the two sports that we discuss about the most on this show. So I'm trying to set the table for those of you all who are not big-time boxing fans, just so you can know where I'm going with this. But because this is so absurd, I can't even do that right, because as I'm trying to illustrate to you just how ridiculous this fight is, how nonsensical this fight is, I can't even stay on point because the journey is just so stupid. Amir Khan has not fought in two and a half years. He is coming back from this long layover to fight one of the best fighters in the world. Many people believe Terrence Crawford is the best fighter in the world. He's better than Canelo, the dude who just beat his ass. Dog, does that make any sense? Imagine if you imagine not doing anything for two and a half years and then jumping into the best possible, you know, version of whatever it is that you were used to, accustomed to, right? I, I'm a producer. I lost my job years ago, right? Working again now. But imagine if as a sports producer, I lose my job, and if I didn't have a job for two and a half years, I started producing the Super Bowl. Do you know how nuts that is? Imagine not driving for two and a half years and then getting behind a NASCAR 
you know, in the Indy 500 or, you know, Daytona 500, right? Or doing some, being a stunt driver for one of the Fast and Furious franchises. That's nuts. <laughs> you wouldn't do it. That's exactly what Amir Khan is doing this Saturday night. Amir Khan going to get his ass beat, Joe. There's so many people who want to squint real hard and, you know, maybe sort of if kind of this happened. Do all of the mental gymnastics possible to make you make themselves believe that this fight will be competitive or that this fight is a real opportunity for Amir Khan to win. Amir Khan has had his ass knocked out by Bamas who could not break win with the with their punches. Terrence Crawford may be the meanest fighter in the world. I don't think he's the best. He he's definitely one of them. And if it's if we're talking about just nasty mean fighters, he's without a question the meanest. Terrence Crawford is looking to hurt Amir Khan, and he will. You talk about Mr. Glass, Amir Khan's jaw is made of paper mache. Dog, if there is a reason to see this fight on Saturday, it is just to see somebody get beat up. If you want to see Amir, if you don't like Amir Khan, maybe he said something crazy to you years ago. Maybe he was disrespectful, dismissive. Maybe he tweeted something crazy to you on Twitter. Who knows? Maybe you just don't like him. Well, this is the fight for you because he's going to get his ass whooped a lot. I can't even see this fight going six rounds. It's going to be bad. That's the selling point. Unfortunately, so many of us know it is going to be bad. Amir Khan is not the fighter that he once was. In fact, he hasn't been the fighter that many of us believe him to be for the better for close to a decade now. Dog Amir Khan fought Lamont Peterson in DC. Had to be like seven years ago. And he lost. Lamont has hung them up. And he was correct to do so. Amir Khan still trying to chase this dream, bro. But this is part of the problem. Despite how excited I am to see or to talk about this. The problem lies because this is the best that they could give Terrence Crawford. Bob Arum, who is the promoter for... Terrence Crawford, who is the, you know, runs top rank promotions, whoever, who has a deal with ESPN. He has consistently fumbled the ball as it pertains to Terrence Crawford. Hell, we could talk about him fumbling the ball as it pertains to, in my opinion, the best fighter in the world, Vasily Lomachenko. All right. Vasily Lomachenko is fighting on ESPN Plus, bro. That's insane. That is insane. Why are you partnering with ESPN if you can't even get them on the network? You got to get the app? The fuck? You got the biggest names. Two of the biggest five, six names in the sport. And you got them on ESPN Plus? But uh, to me, this is this is easy. This is easy. I'm going to focus back to Terrence Crawford specifically now. Terrence Crawford has every right in his head to think that he is the best fighter in the world. I get that. You know, everybody talks about my cousin and I were talking about Paul Pierce and Dwayne Wade last week. 
and people killed Paul Pierce for saying that he had a better career than the way Wade. And I was just taken aback. I'm like, what did y'all expect him to say? I, I feel that he should have handled it differently because he took the bait. The producers knew that he was going to say that and make himself sound crazy. And though I don't think he's as crazy as y'all did, his career is not better than Dwayne Wade. Like, let's be honest. But if you are a competitor, of course you're going to believe a competitor who has been successful, right? Who has been to the top. We were talking about a finals MVP, first ballot Hall of Famer. Of course Paul Pierce thinks he's better than guys who are in his relative tier, right? Paul Pierce isn't going to say he's better than Michael Jordan. Kobe's delusional ass did, and y'all didn't kill him, but I digress. When you are a competitor at the highest level, of course you are going to believe you are the best. Now, amplify that times 100, because in boxing, you could die, right? You can't step in the ring with somebody. I'm not trying to be salacious. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not being hyperbolic. You can't get in the ring with somebody who's trying to punch your face in and think, oh, man, he's better than me. <laughs> you know, what I mean? Like, how does that work? You can't do that unless you want some Peter McNeely tip. Just take the dive. Get punched one time and say, nah, I'm done. So Terrence Crawford thinks he's the best fighter in the world. And there is this looming kind of, I don't know how, it's not a cold war, but it's a looming potential super fight between Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. Spence has shown and proved time and time again. Y'all know, I think Spence is the best at 147. I think he's the second best fighter in the world. He just came off an impressive victory versus another top 10 fighter, caliber fighter, and Mikey Garcia swept him, made him, embarrassed him, beat him up, but did it in a way where people prior to their fight questioned Spence's boxing acumen. There are no such doubts anymore. Spence could have went in there and tried to knock Mikey's head off. What he did was box Mikey into a pulp. That's what Spence did. And also what Spence did at a pay-per-view card that cost $75, he got damn near 400,000 people to see it. 40,000 people in Dallas, Jerry's World, to see it. That's what Spence did on his first pay-per-view. You want to know what Bob Arum and Top Rank did for Terrence Crawford's first pay-per-view? Many of y'all probably don't even remember. About five years ago, four or five years ago, Terrence Crawford fought Victor Postal on a top-ranked pay-per-view, and it sold, I don't even know if it got 100,000 buys. That was Bud's first pay-per-view. Bud was already legit. Everybody knew Bud was a beast. Everybody knew it. And Victor Postal at the moment was legit. He was the contender for Bud. Undefeated, undefeated, two champions. That was it. But Top Rank bundled that entire promotion, rushed it to pay-per-view. No one bought it. There's one black mark already on Bud's record in terms of being a generator of a marquee fighter. And it's unfortunate to him because it wasn't his fault. He was put up against legit competition, a champion, undefeated, and he beat, he did what he was supposed to do. Bud has done what he was supposed to do at every corner. Not only does he win, he beats people up. And it's 
He does it with an intensity, with a vigor that it is, you can feel it. Like, dog, Bud ain't the one. But his, as his profile has grown, the promotion for him and the, the competition has not grown with it. And that is primarily Aram's responsibility. I don't know if people even know this fight is happening. What's the purpose of having a contract, a deal with ESPN, if they will not put the entire force of the worldwide leader behind it? Yeah, Terrence Crawford was on first take early this week. Guess who also was on first take when their fight was about to happen? Errol Spence and Mikey Garcia. But also Fox promoted that fight because they knew what they had. And that's why those numbers were what they were. They actually invested in the fighters because they spent a lot of money to get it. ESPN had to spend a lot of money to get top rank, but they put in the best boxer in the world on ESPN Plus and barely mentioned Terrence Crawford. I have no idea. I have no idea what the plan is at top rank. I don't know. Because Terrence and Spence are going at each other like they want they both want to fight. Bob Arum is talking to Al Heyman on Twitter. And if you know anything about boxing, you know the fights that happen don't get done in public. It's it's the same logic in anything. The trade, you know how everybody talks about certain trades? And like, oh man, this guy, Mike Conley's gonna get traded to Toronto. Everybody was talking about, you know. Mike Conley, Kyle Lowry, or Mike Conley, the Utah. Nobody was talking about Marcus All, and then boom, Marcus All got. People were talking about Marcus All to Charlotte. Marcus All goes to Toronto. The trades that happen, the deals that happen, always happen in silence. Always. When you don't know about something, that's when it happens. The fact that Bob Aaron was pulling this little stunts trying to engage, Al Hammond ain't even on Twitter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If, if Aaron was real about making this deal, you call him up. You don't do that in public. And this is how I know I've long since felt, and I told you guys on the show, Spence and Bud's not going to happen. And I'm not going to blame Spence. I'm not going to blame Bud. I believe both fighters feel that they are the best at 147, and I truly believe they both want to get it on because they both want to show the world they are the best. There's no way... Terrence Crawford can make people believe he's the number one fighter in the world unless he fights Spence and vice versa. There's no way Spence can make people believe that he's number one. I got him number two. There's no way he can make the majority believe that he's number one unless he beats Bud. But they're not going to fight. I don't believe it. They're arguing on who's A-side. For those of you who don't know, who's the main attraction? Who's the, who's the, the, the name highest on the marquee? Who gets the biggest purse? And this is why, you know, you hear the cliche and I can't stand it. It's chess, not checkers. It's someone who plays chess, teaching my little girl how to play. You hear it all the time and you, you can just tell a lot of people say that who don't play. But in actuality, what they're trying to say is there are so many moves. This one move here is part of a bigger plan, right? When they say this is chess, not checkers, that's kind of the theme. This is just one piece in a larger puzzle. The fight on Saturday is just one move. 
into a larger puzzle between Spence and Bud. Spence, his first pay-per-view did damn near 400,000 pay-per-view, pay-per-view buys, right? At 75 to $80, depending on if you had HD or not. Bud is trying to sell a fight with Amir Khan for 70, and he's not getting, I don't think he's gonna get half of what Spence did. And that's a problem. Because if you were saying that you were A-side in a fight, potential fight with Spence, you already got your one black check on pay-per-view, right? The fight that I talked about earlier with Postal. People shot you bail. It's like, all right, that was a bad situation. Bud decided to stay with Top Rank. So you, you made your At that point, you got to accept some responsibility. You rocking with Aaron. And now look at how this fight is promoted. You don't get 200,000. There's no one's going to hear you A-side, bro. And that's the problem. And, and even to a larger extent, who is next for you? This is what I'm saying. Sprint's next two fights are already lined up. It's going to get Sean. End of 2019. Beginning of 2020, he's getting the winner of Thurman Pacquiao. Both of those fights are going to make money. PBC has done a diligent job. Diligent. They have been painstakingly. So much so that I have actually give, complained about them, right? We've talked about this in the show before. 147, all of the top fighters with the exception of Bud fight at PPC. And we've been waiting. Why isn't Keith fighting Spence? Why isn't Spence fighting Sean or Sean fighting this guy or Spence fighting Danny? It's been this waiting pattern. And a lot of it is because Keith got hurt. Keith is back now. And not only is Keith back, he's got a potential lucrative payday versus Manny Pacquiao. So he's going to step up to that. He's not going to avoid that because that's a lot of money. Manny is still big time, a huge draw when it comes to pay-per-view, not just uh, in the States, but worldwide for obvious reasons. So if Keith does what we think he should do, beat Manny on pay-per-view, all right, now, no, nobody's trying to hear you not fight Spence. And because Spence did such a great job with his first pay-per-view fight, Keith will be making his first pay-per-view fight versus Manny, which will obviously sell. Now, PBC's plan, their chess plan, if you will, even though it took so long to develop and to materialize, Sean versus Spence will sell. Thurman versus Manny will sell. The two winners of those fights then try and fight title versus title early 2020. Meanwhile, what's there for Bud? If Terrence Crawford doesn't sell, I think he has to at least get 280. I don't know if he gets 200, to be honest with you. But let's say he gets 280 after Spence got 400. Then Spence gets Sean. Another belt. Sean's better than anybody that Bud has fought at 147. Who does Bud fight then? Because after that, after the Porter fight, if Spence wins, he then fights Keith on pay-per-view for another belt. So now Buzz looking, this, now, we, now we 2020, in the 2020, maybe 2021. What is there for Bud to do, number one? And what is there for him to accomplish that you can reasonably come to the table, right, the bargaining table, like, okay, not only, okay, even if he concedes he's not A-side, now... You ain't getting the 55-45 split, but are you looking at 60-40, 65-35?
because Spence is now lined up three pay-per-view fights in a row and getting belt after belt if he goes through Porter and he goes through Thurman. Bob Arum has royally dropped the ball. He is messing Terrence Crawford's money up as we speak, and we'll know next Thursday, by the time you hear my voice next week, how bad the damage has been done. Because Amir Khan, Amir Khan and Terrence Crawford in 2015 probably sell something. Amir Khan, Terrence Crawford in 2019 with no promotion. There's no 24-7. Last time, last time Khan got in the ring, he fought Canelo. Biggest draw in the sport. 24-7 HBO Sports, the best boxing network, the best boxing hype television show. And it did, I want to say like 400,000, maybe 500,000. I don't remember the number off the top. But it did quite well. That was years ago. Khan hasn't fought anyone since, and Bud has not, by no fault of his own, built up his name recognition to become a marquee must-see fighter. He hasn't done it yet. That's not his fault. That's his promoter's fault. Just like Vasily Lomachenko, and Lomachenko's brand is probably bigger, right, than Bud's is. But that's still the problem. Lomachenko should not be fighting on a plus network. It's just insane. You should not be fighting on a... What's the purpose of aligning yourself with ESPN if you're going to fight on not even the ESPN2 channel? Bob Arum is a beloved figure in the sport, in the sporting world, especially in boxing. Somebody got to call a spade a spade. You got two of the best fighters in your stable and have nothing for them. And as it pertains to Terrence Crawford, because his situation is far worse than Vasily Lomachenko's is. Lomachenko still has the ability. There are fights for him to be made because he is the number one guy. There is no doubt. In terms of Terrence, he is losing money by the minute. By the minute. And we will find out just how much he lost this upcoming Thursday. Because Saturday night, which is a fight night, it's a fight. It's one of the rare fights where both parties will lose. Let me know what you guys think about Terrence Crawford versus Amir Khan. Remember, hit me up Saturday night. If you're going to watch the fight, man, tweet at me. You know I'm going to be checking it out. Quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E show. Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know your thoughts. Give me the round-by-round, blow-by-bow scores that you want to do. Or wait till next week. Let me know your thoughts. A lot of Bud fans exist in the D.C. area. And look, I don't by, by no means am I trying to make it come across that I'm not a fan of Bud. I think Bud is a phenomenal boxer, and I do think that a Bud Spence, though I think Spence would win, I don't think it would be an easy walk in the park. I think it would be a battle. I think both guys will earn whatever outcome that happens. I'm just now resigned to the fact that I don't believe it's going to happen, and I just gave you the, economic, the economics as to why that is my viewpoint and my decision. All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means it's halftime, and halftime this week is going Back to the call center as I'm giving some advice to just one person in particular. Someone who had not a Tiger Woods week on the field, but a bigger week than Tiger Woods in the bank account. Let's go to the quarterly report call center 
to hear more. Hello and welcome to the Quarterly Report Call Center where we give you advice on any problem that you may be facing. My name is Armand. Give me your name and where you're from and what's your problem. Hello, this is Russell from the Great Northwest repping a whole pack of badgers. Anyway, it's been a phenomenal week for me personally as I've just been awarded the highest paid player in the entire NFL. It's a responsibility that I do not overlook and I want to make sure that I earn every single penny that was given to me by my organization. But there is pressure that comes along with it. What should I do to make sure that I don't succumb to the pressure and that I make sure everyone knows that I am completely deserving of my huge contract? I'll shut up and listen now. Thank you. Well, okay, Russell. Well, it seems like this is a good problem to have, right? You are making a lot of money and of course, with that money, there are going to be hefty expectations and an expectation to win and to deliver on the investment. But you wouldn't have been paid so much if you were unable to reach these goals and to satisfy these expectations. So don't let any of this stuff get into your head. They have paid you the most money in your profession, which means you are capable, more than capable, to deliver. Is it a lot of money? Yes. Will there be a lot of now detractors or even more detractors to what you do? Of course, that all comes with the territory. However, you can do this. They wouldn't have paid you if you couldn't. Is it going to be a tough challenge? Absolutely. But the best challenges, right? The best goals are the ones with the stiffest challenge, with the highest obstacles. So when you originally started doing what you did, no one thought you could reach the mountaintop and you did it. And though you may have had some shortcomings and some awful uh, moments thereafter, ultimately it has prepared you and led you to this moment. So man, bask in the glow of being able to take care of your family and the family members that you'll never ever have to meet or never will meet, I should say. They will never have to worry about any type of financial issues for the foreseeable future. You have done that for your family. That is an amazing accomplishment and I salute you. Everything else, man, it'll fall into place. But remember, you are in this position. You have been awarded that contract because they believe that you can do it and it doesn't matter if you don't believe. So brother, congratulations and get back to business. All right, guys, we got time for one more caller. Caller, what is your name, where are you from, and what is your issue? Hey, what's going on, baby? It's Russ. From Seattle by way of Richmond, Southside. What's happening? Uh, huh? Hey, Armand, love the show, baby. Thanks for taking are, my call. Are, did, did I just talk to you? Yeah, I just talked to you, but it's a whole different vibe, a whole different mood over here now. I don't even understand what the hell is going on. You, you sound completely different. Well, let's see, that's exactly what I need to talk to you about. You know, now that I got my family, I'm more comfortable with myself. So I'm starting to little by little allow my true colors to to be shown and to be known to the world but i'm feeling some type of way slim i feel like some people are going to start judging me and critiquing me a bit differently but this is who i am and people don't really know that about me because i've been living in the facade for so long how should i break the ice yo hey what's happening baby you finally come home welcome to the motherfucking show baby 
Oh, I'm so proud of you off the rip. Just off the rip, I'm so proud that you have come. You finally come to your full self, Joe. Enough with that cornball stuff, wearing the Hawaiian shirts, going to fights, throwing up the West. I don't know what you've been on, bro, but you know what? The past is in the past. The past is in the past. Make your money, Slim. Who cares what anybody says or how they critique? Dog, I don't know if you've been paying attention. They've been critiquing you on the curve, off the rip. When the Super Bowl, they look at you crazy. Highest passer rating in the league. They say, ah, uh, yeah, but no offensive line. Ah, uh, yeah, but he did it with a running game. Yeah, I had a running game in a long time. Touchdown pass. He's one of the best deep ball passes in the league. Yeah, but look, this is just the time it is, Joe. This is how you have always been critiqued, you know? But forget about that, man. I've been seeing you lately, dog. You got to shape up now. You know what I'm saying? You got an old lady who you can walk around with. Be proud. You got, you got some beautiful children. You understand? And you were flexing on the Seahawks. You're like, dog, here's the ultimatum. Take it or leave it. Dog, I'm so proud of you. Everybody in Richmond is proud of you. Keep it up. You know, keep it up. Throw all that goofy, saggy jean stuff you've been wearing, dog. Throw all that stuff away. Throw all your crazy looking, you know, sneakers away. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Just don't rock, bro. What you are undergoing right now, you're from Virginia. Now, you're from the real Virginia. You're from Richmond, all right? So it just took you longer than it takes everybody else from there, okay? But whatever. It's cool, bro. You have finally hit your cute, your cool puberty. You know, if you're from Virginia, the real Virginia, specifically if you're from Richmond, we get that usually at 19 months. You know, we just are naturally cooler than everybody else. It just took you a hell of a long longer. I don't know why. Maybe some crazy-ass curls in your head. But whatever. You, you finally are here now, baby. So... Forget what these babies, that's one of the first things that you learn once you hit your cool puberty, okay? You don't care what the mother bombers are talking about, especially when you are when you are doing you. You getting how you live right now, bro. You winning right now. Don't concern yourself with what other people are thinking. Russ, dog, man, and the spirit, dog, I can feel the spirit of Arthur Ashe rising right now, baby. Man, we so proud of you right now, dog. Congratulations, Russ. Man, you my man. I, I knew it. I knew you. I knew it was in you. I always believed in you, baby. It's finally coming out, man. Damn. All right, bro, man. Take it light, baby. I, I, I'm, I'm pulling for you, Russ. All right, brother. Keep it light. My man. All right, y'all. That's my time right now. I'm feeling so good right now. Homegrown talent finally decided to come back home, baby. That's how we like to end the note on the quarterly report call center. Another satisfied customer. We will see you guys back here in a few weeks. Yo, the code switching by Russell Wilson has gone to a whole nother level. I, I know everybody saw the, the Instagram video of him and Sierra in the bed after he got his money. I was watching the joint like, who is this? I didn't know who it was. Russ all of a sudden had bass. And you know, if it's late at night, you laying down, you know, you sound a bit different, right? Especially like if you you about to go to sleep or you just, you know, maybe he was celebrating with his with his woman. Who knows? So I was like, all right, I shoot you some bail there. But the way he was talking, like, yeah, y'all go to bed. I was like, what is this? I had no idea. I, I didn't know who it was. I didn't know who it was. So, man, maybe he did, you know, the rope-a-dope to everybody. Maybe that's who really he is. And he just was caught, you know, 
He was in a in a very open situation. He just he just got a rack of bread. He was celebrating with his wife. Great thing. Shout out to you, brother. Shout out to you, King. So maybe that was just uh, an accidental glimpse. He allowed us a glimpse into who he really is in the household. I don't know. I don't know. I can only hope. I've seen Russ do some crazy lame stuff before, and I've always been like, you know what? He's from Richmond. I'm just going to go grit and bear it. But maybe he finally, you know, maybe he finally is, is ready to take his spot amongst the coolest brothers in the world, baby. I don't know. I don't know. We got to wait and see. But, man, I couldn't believe my ears. I was like, is this Russell Wilson? If, if, if that was Russell Westbrook, everybody would be fine. The fact that it was Russ, we was like, what? Three chains on at, in the bay. <laughs> hey, man, shout out to Russ. Living his best life right now, man. He living his best life. And he got all the bread. 140 some odd million, I want to say. Man, shout out to you. Shout out to you, bro. All right, man, the show must go on. We're going we're gonna to step out of our very Virginia, Richmond, Virginia specific mood right now. We're going to go back, back to the larger world of sports, specifically Washington, D.C. is my guy, Troy Halliburton, stops by to discuss the wild NBA season, specifically the Washington Wizards. My guest this week is making his return to the show. One of my favorite guests. You guys read him at the Washington City Paper, and you also see his stuff at truthaboutit.net, breaking down the Washington Wizards and so much more. My guy, Troy Halliburton. Troy, what's going on, man? And thank you for joining me on episode 101 of the Quarterly Report. I'm on, man. How you doing, man? It's great to be back on here and tapping up with you, talking some hoops, man. Oh, for sure, for sure. I love it. Once again, guys, make sure you follow my guy, Troy Halliburton, on Twitter, at Troy Halliburton. He writes for the Washington City Paper and TruthAboutIt.net. And chopping it up is exactly what we're going to do, man. When you're on the show, you and I go back and forth. We discuss a lot of really dope topics, a lot of insightful things with a wide variety between music and the NBA and everything in between. But now... Recently, you and I, really not recently, once you and I first connected last year on Twitter, you know, you and I went back and forth on Ben Simmons, and this postseason run has brought the the topic of Ben Simmons and just how dynamic a player he is back to the forefront. If you listen to this show, you know I'm a big-time fan of Ben Simmons, despite his flaws. And one of the issues I have with, with the crit- criticism of Ben is that his one flaw, that he can't shoot, Maybe even that he won't shoot usurps all of the things that he does phenomenally well, right? We look at Ben Simmons and the first thing so many people think of is he can't shoot. And we don't pay attention to his rebounding, his defense, his passing, one of the best passers in this league and his athleticism finishing ability. This goes right to he can't shoot. And I get it. He can't and he won't shoot. But to me, Ben Simmons is still a dynamic player. I think He's one of the five to six best players in the Eastern Conference. So I turn to you, Tori. I know you don't disagree. I know you don't agree with me. I'm not saying that you think he's a scrub because you don't. We're going, we're going to do this the right way. But I, I, I give you the floor. What say you about Ben Simmons? See, and this is and this is where the disconnect I see with uh, with NBA fans when it comes to Ben Simmons. It's okay to say okay. He's a top, you know, 30 player in the league. He's a top, you know, you know, 20 player in the East, top, maybe even top 10 player in the East. But <laughs> there's no way possible that he could be a top five player 
in the Eastern Conference or an all-NBA player, one of the top 15 players in the entire league, if, you know, the the, the, the basketball game is, uh, you know, they have a they have a scoreboard. They, they keep score <laughs> of the game, and Ben Simmons refuses to score. Like, I mean, he refuses to shoot the basketball. So and I I think this is one of those things where I I live I listen to uh Bill Simmons all the time and he has this uh this theory that he has where it's called the 90/10. He said, you know, that a guy could be great at 90% of everything, but his 10% weakness is so glaring and that's that all that people want to talk about. And I think that's the case with Ben Simmons. Like he he he's amazing like when in transition when it comes to passing the basketball when it comes to rebounding the basketball, he's even a, a quality defender. But I just don't think that it's possible for him to be one of the elite players when you can have playoff games where you're scoring in single digits. Okay, few things, right? I 100% agree with this 90-10 theory, right? Because this is precisely what is the case when it comes to Ben Simmons. He does 90% of the games elite level he's elite at everything besides shooting and the fact that he doesn't shoot he still scores 18 points a game shooting 56 percent from the floor i think two things number one the sixers they haven't the the team that they have put around ben and i understand that they have built around joel because joel is the more dominant player right but they haven't done ben any favors you can hide james harden on defense in houston in D.C., you can hide Bradley Beal on defense, but because we as an NBA viewing public, we view offense and defense cons- like significantly different for whatever reason, right? You can't, it doesn't feel the same when the Sixers can't hide Ben Simmons offensively and only in the half-court setting. Their offense is not doing Ben any favors. That's number one. Number two, I remember, and I'm not trying to be like the old man oh, back in my day, but I remember Jason Kidd is one of my favorite players of all time. I remember seeing Jason Kidd run the floor in transition, be an elite defender, rebound the ball well, and obviously being one of the best passers of his era, if not of all time basketball players. Jason Kidd was that. And Jason Kidd was phenomenal. And I remember the criticisms that he got when he first came into the league. I think it's important to note Ben is only 22. He's not a finished product. He can't shoot. But that one thing that he doesn't do well usurps everything. And to me, that's just nuts. You know what I'm saying? You and I have had this personal conversation as it pertains to Ben Wallace, right? I'm a huge fan of Ben Wallace. He couldn't shoot, but he was still a dominant player, should be in the Hall of Fame. The same rules kind of apply with Rudy Gobert, and they are applying to Ben Simmons. We get so fixated on what a, per- a person or a player can't do that we ignore all of the things that they do at an elite level. Yeah, no, I understand. I think that, um, I mean, last year I felt like the the, the roster was constructed perfectly for right. Ben Simmons, where they had a lot of shooters around him. And uh, you know, this year I think the core, the floor is a little bit more uh, congested when the fact that you have uh, Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris, who are you know essentially you know doing most of their work in the spots that Ben Simmons you right. know kind of likes to do his work. But I think the biggest thing, what you talked about with Jason Kidd earlier, um, you know, he, he grew as a player. And with Ben Simmons, he hasn't shown any sign that he's interested in shooting the basketball at all. Right. So from, from last year to this year, he's almost shown no growth as a player. So it's hard for us to kind of project 
what he can be going forward if he 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 hasn't shown you know, he's not willing so far. Yeah. There, there's like there, there's no barometer to say that okay he could possibly like I, I would have been you know I would have felt good about him if he would have took ten threes this year. Your man took zero threes. Like your man, <laughs> <laughs> like, take take ten outside jumpers. Like Sixers fans, I love it. Like even 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 Sixers fans, I know. But like uh, I remember on Christmas Day he hit a shot. Uh, I think it was an eighteen foot jumper. That was his longest jump shot of the season up to that point. And like people were like 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 throwing a party. Yeah. Because the guy finally like took an open jump shot. So I mean I think I I like his game. I think that he's a good player. I even think that he's an all star level player. But when it comes to him being regarded as uh, a potential uh, superstar in this league. I just don't think that it's possible for him to reach that point with him not, you know, I don't know, being even willing to shoot the basketball. So, I mean, that's that's just where the the, the disagreement comes in. Like right. I said, I don't think he's a scrub. I know that he could play. I would I would love him on any of my teams, you know. But he, I don't know, like he just can't be that top five candidate, <laughs> top five guy. Like I just, I just, I, I just can't. I, I can't make my brain like reach that level. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, guys, I'm joined by Troy Halliburton, one of my favorite guests to have on the show, writer for the Washington City Pepper and contributor to TruthAboutIt.net. Make sure you guys follow Troy on Twitter. He's at Troy Halliburton. And, you know, this leads us to the Washington Wizards, obviously. You know, last year, a lot of people were excited about the Wizards. I think you and I, you and I talked about you know, kind of our projections for the team for the upcoming season. And I remember, you know, I was saying, you know, I think the Wizards will be fighting for a five or six spot. And I was viewed as a pessimist. But no matter what anyone says, there's no way anyone, even the biggest pessimist out there, could have foreseen this season for the Wizards. No one could have expected this season play out the way it had been, the way it has. Um, and however, despite the, the, the poor season, one of the, the lone bright spots alongside Thomas Bryant was the play of Bradley Beal. I've gone on ad nauseum about my uh, criticism of, of Beal since he came into the league. I was not a fan of Beal's game. And then after his fifth season, I, I started to, you know, eat the crow because he's played well. But this year was his best season by far. And unfortunately, it comes at a pivotal time for the team because if he makes the all-NBA team, which in my opinion, I think is highly likely, the Wizards are forced or faced with another huge decision about the Supermax contract. So I'm curious your position. What say you about Bradley Beal if the hypothetical does come true? If he does make an all-NBA team, do you believe that the Wizards should offer him a Supermax contract? And if not, how do you see his future in D.C. playing out? I think that... Uh... Really, the the a few the future of the Wizards franchise is in the hands of NBA writers all across yeah. America. Yeah. Because I mean, this is this is a, a fork in the road moment for the franchise when you really think about it. Because I mean, it and, and the thing is, I've been I've been uh, you know I listen to a lot of podcasts and you know I read a lot of people where they you know they put up their ballots and it's kind of like almost fifty fifty where he was right. on some people's ballots. And, uh, and on not on some people's ballots. So I mean, this this decision is going to be very critical because honestly, I don't think that there's any way possible that the Wizards 
franchise can offer him the Supermax contract and have two players on Supermax deals making forty plus million dollars a year right. and be very for the playoffs. That's just not yeah. a sound business model. So I think that I mean if if I feel like if he makes all NBA, then I mean the next logical step is I mean, Bradley Bill might not be a wizard <laughs> after right. this summer. Yo, it's funny how life works, right? Because if there were if there were years to separate the decision with John and where we potentially are facing with Brad, I do think that the Wizards may be more inclined to go ahead and, and offer a supermax to Brad if he were to make an all NBA team. But the fact that it's two years apart, you know what I'm saying? It's nuts. And it's basically testing, you know, the discipline and the the vision of the Wizards as a as an organization. Look, man, the the third team All NBA is a booby trap. You know what I'm saying? Because the same thing happened with John. John made All NBA on the third team. Brad, if he will, if he are, if he is to make it, not only would it be the third team, he would be the last spot on the third team. You know what I mean? He he would just make it. And the fact that that is what it takes to make this such a pivotal move, man, it's, it's, a, it's a tough position to be in because with John's injury, when it happened this year specifically, especially the Achilles, you could see the organization basically kind of wrap their arms around Brad and kudos to Brad. He, he stepped up into that face of the franchise role, at least, at least like from... A, uh, a visible, not necessarily from a production standpoint, but just from the visibility, being the guy. And he has stepped into it and, and, and carried that banner, and that goes a lot. You know what I mean? It's easy to sell tickets when you have a guy that you can prop up and say, look, he's one of the best guys in the league. But, man, I, I just don't see how – I just don't see how you could do it if he makes the All-NBA because there will be two seasons where John and Brad will be making $40 million. And that's – Unless they hit like jackpot in the lottery, that is just there's just no way that you can have a successful team with that type of situation under under your books. Yeah, I think that Brad has stepped up as the face of the franchise, and uh, just as you said, I think that there's something. I think there's something to be said, and I've been thinking about writing on this topic for uh, the future. Hopefully, nobody steals this idea, but there's something to be said about how the NBA's implementation of the Supermax contract has crippled the Wizards. Yeah. And I think that it's crippled the Wizards in a sense that when 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 the uh when when they were constructing the CBA and they made that Supermax deal, this is this was a deal that they wanted to use to keep, you know, right. basically it was based off of, you know, Kevin Durant leaving and going from OKC to uh to uh, Golden State. State. And, right. and, and it wanted to give an incentive for players to be able to stay with the teams that drafted them. And the, and the and incentive is the big carrot at the end of the uh, road, right. which is a bag of money. So I think that – but but we're talking about a player like Kevin Durant. Like, exactly. Okay, obviously he's worthy of a Supermax. Uh, two of the other players who have received Supermax, James Harden, he's right. a former MVP, one of the best players in the league. Russell Westbrook, another former MVP. You know, uh, I, I don't know if I would consider him – one of the best players yeah, in the league. Oklahoma City's going to find themselves in a tough situation, you too, about offering them that contract in a year or two. Exactly. But, but the, the thing is, though, John and Brad, like you said, are both getting ready to uh, get these Supermax offers. 
from making one third team All NBA. Right. And it's just like I feel like that. I feel like the uh, the uh, the criteria for what it takes to be eligible for the supermax needs that the threshold needs to uh, increase. So right. Like, if you make a third team, you need to make at least two, two third team All NBA. Yeah. Before now, if you were, if you win an MVP, boom, you should be automatically Lockdown. eligible. Right. You know, first if you if you if, you if you're first team All NBA, then you should be you know eligible. If you third team All NBA, I think you need to do that at least twice exactly. before they start uh you know just just offering bags of money because like Bradley Bill, yes, he's improved as a player, but you can see like is he really worth? Forty million plus dollars a year. Right. If he can't even lead a cast of characters to the eighth seed in the in the Eastern East. Conference, yeah. Right? And, and and I love Brad. I think Brad had an amazing season. I Absolutely. think he grew a lot as a player. But Brad still didn't. He still has flaws when it comes to taking a cast of characters and and willing them to win basketball games. Like there are nights where like James Harden plays, and you could just tell from the like the tip off. He's like, oh, we're not losing this game. Not losing. He plays, right. and he drops, whether he got to drop 45, 50, whatever he got to do, they're going to win the game. Brad hasn't right. reached that level yet. So, and then yeah. 25, 5, and 5, that's an amazing year. But he, he just, I don't know. He, it, it's, he's just not worth that Supermax money to me. You know, it's funny because you hit that nail on the head with the third team thing, man. Like, there's certain rules in the NBA that, you understand why they were implemented, but they've really just backfired. Restricted free agency is another one, right? Teams always fall for the trap of the restricted free agency. And you're seeing the same thing. You you make third team all NBA, and it's an honor. I'm not taking it away. Bradley Beal had a phenomenal year. If Bradley Beal is your second or third option, offensive option on the team, that's the difference between being a good team and being a great team, a championship contender, right? Similar to Clay. Clay can't be the the number one option on the team. He can't be the guy that your your team runs through. He just can't do it. But when Clay's your third option, you see what happens. Same thing with Brad. You know what I mean? And I say this all the time, but it, it we're in tax season now. So the Supermax is the equivalent of if you get a tax return check, you know? And you get a tax return check that does not mean that you have to spend it on a 60-inch flat screen television, right? The Wizards have a, a Supermax to offer if Bill makes the team, but that doesn't mean that you have to give it to him, but that's where the fork of the roll comes. Because if Bradley Bill makes the all-NBA team and he's, and the Wizards don't offer him a Supermax contract, then the writing's on the wall. You know his time in D.C. is, is uh, he's on bor- borrowed time. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's, so that, that's the thing. So, I mean, really... I'm sure that uh, there are people with, within the Wizards organization that have their fingers crossed that he doesn't make the all NBA right. team, so they don't even have to come have to, to this decision. That bridge. Yeah. Exactly, because I mean, if he makes all NBA, either, either I mean, the, the the one scenario they could offer him the supermax and then try to trade John, but then right. you're going to end up trading they, they for a team who barely has any assets to begin with. You're going to have to add on assets. Asset, trade yeah. John's contract just to offer a supermax to Bill, and then we've already seen that if he if there's nothing around him, like we've already seen that, that this isn't a playoff team. Yeah. So I mean, this is I mean this is, I don't know like like I said, this is probably a, a defining moment in the Wizards franchise going forward, and it, it, it kind of sucks because you know the decision really isn't even up to them. It, it's up to 
you know, uh, the, the panel of 100 or so uh, people who have uh, 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 an NBA ballot. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guest this week, Troy Halliburton, writer for the Washington City Paper, contributor for truthaboutit.net, and a frequent guest, friend of the program for the Quarterly Report. And, man, let me tell you, this is how you know Troy's a, a hell of a guest. That's a perfect segue. How we just ended that is a perfect segue for our final topic. This position, this offseason is going to be huge for the Wizards as we just spoke of. And the position of general manager slash president of basketball operations is now up. So whomever does take this role, they have a daunting task ahead of them. You know, we've heard that the Wizards have a, a, a large search looking for the right candidate. So as it stands right now, there are a lot of rumblings. You hear certain names, but we don't know necessarily how um, how significant or how um, factual any of these rumors are. So, Troy, I'll pose the question to you. Who do you think has the inside track at said position? And also, separate question, which candidate or which person do you think would be? Who would be your choice? So, who has the inside track, in your opinion? And who would be your choice to fill Ernie Grunfeld's shoes? Well, Armand, I think that uh, yeah, um, you say that they're, they're casting a wide search. I, I don't really even think that wow, it's okay. that wide of a search for the team. I think that they've already kind of narrowed in on who uh, they would like to, uh, to, to take over the job. I think the number one candidate right now would be Tim Conley from the Denver Nuggets. Okay. Um, he used to be in Washington. Um, I think I think that he was there from for about ten years, from like ninety six to like uh, or like ninety five to like oh three. Okay. So he was so he was in DC, and he already has a familiarity with a lot of the people who are on the staff. Um, so I'm talking about people from you know the basketball operations people down to uh, the you know, team security. Oh wow! To, you know you know the. Uh, so he's familiar. Like he has relationships, standing right. relationships with people in DC. So I think that, and and he's done a, I mean he's done a magnificent job uh, helping uh, basically turn Denver's franchise around. They right. drafted well, and I think which I think is uh, probably going to have to be the key for the Wizards going forward to in order to you know kind of reboot the franchise. They they must draft well. They have to hit on whatever draft picks they. Uh, you know, they, they, they do have and have maybe have to acquire more draft picks. Right. But I think that the way Ted, the way uh, Mr. Leonsis has run uh, the Wizards has been, you know, kind of like a family, a family business. Yeah. So, and that, and I think that if they are able to pry uh, Tim Conley away from uh, the Nuggets, you know, it, it kind of keeps it in the family. And so if, if he's not, if, if, if they're not able to get him, I honestly believe that they'll probably just promote uh, Tommy Shepard mm. was the, uh, Ernie's number two man uh, for the last uh, fifteen years, but uh, and and Tommy Tommy is a he, he's a great guy like he's a he's right. a really nice guy like you know I know uh, people you know say that uh, Ernie Grunfeld kind of ornery and you know didn't really like talking to a lot of people. Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> shout out shout out my man uh, who's the MC. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, I, I remember he had a thread not too long ago. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but but uh, Tommy Shepard is kind of like the exact opposite. Like you know, I I've even built up a relationship with him uh, over the last couple of years just because I mean he just speaks to people. You know, he walks yeah. around, he talks to people, he shakes your hand. Like, and I think that 
I think that uh, Ted really wants to probably give him that job just because he feels like it worked with the Capitals where he let go of the general manager and he promoted the number two and then yeah. they were able to uh, win a Stanley Cup. I think that he believes that, you know, just keeping it in the family is is something that, I, that, is, that they're very much interested in doing. Like I said, like uh, Ted runs, you know, the whole monumental sports as a family business. So, and, and, and I think those are the only two real viable options for uh, who's going to take over for the Wizards. Now, of course, you know, there, there could be some dark horse candidates that might come out of nowhere, but I, I just, the, the names that people are been throwing around, like people threw around David Griffin. I never heard that name. I never, I never thought that that was ever going to be an option. Right. And, uh, you know, some people are saying guys like uh, Troy Weaver from OKC. I, I don't, I don't really see that happening. Um, was it the, uh, the number two guy from uh, Boston? Boston? I don't really yeah. see that happening. It's just, you know, I, I, like I said, there, there may be a third candidate that comes out of nowhere. But for right now, if if, if I had to predict, I would say uh, it would be either Tim Conley or uh, Tommy Shepard who's going to take over. And there you have it, man. That's Troy Halliburton, writer for the Washington City Paper, contributor for TruthAboutIt.net, breaking down the entire general manager search for the Washington Wizards, man. It gave you two names to keep an eye out for, man. And uh, you know they have a it's it's a it's they've got a daunting task and not that much time to get it done. But hopefully, Wizards fans are happy with whomever the team and Ted decides to bring on. And it's going to be a it's going to be a fun offseason heading up to a, a pivotal, pivotal uh, next season for the Washington Wizards organization. Troy, thanks again, man, for chopping it up with us and breaking it all down, man. Appreciate you. Oh, man, it's, hey, it's my pleasure, Armand, man. I, I, I take time out of this any day, <laughs> any time. Come on here and chop it up with my man. Hey, this is hey, this, this is life right here. This is what we do it for. Yes, sir. No doubt. No doubt. All right, guys, we are three quarters down. We've talked boxing, we talked NBA, we talked the playoffs, but there's one topic that we haven't touched on yet, man. And it's the biggest topic that was around me for the last year plus. If you are a big time HBO fan, you already know what time it is, but if you don't, don't worry. It's our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. You guys hear the music. So you know what it means, baby. Game of Thrones, we are back. The final season. So I don't know why I would have to do this now, but some of y'all, y'all get real agitated when it comes to this type of stuff. So there are no spoilers. I don't know anything that is going to happen, but this entire segment, the fourth quarter of the quarterly report, we'll be discussing episode one of the final season. So if you have not seen it yet, dog, the pod comes out on a Thursday, bro. I don't know what else to tell you. That's number one. Number two, if you don't want to hear theories, because that's what this entire segment is going to be, my theories about what ultimately happens in Westeros in the final season of the Game of Thrones. So if you don't want to hear that, if you if you haven't seen the first episode yet, if you don't want to have anything potentially be spoiled, even though I do not know anything, I appreciate you rocking on episode 101. I'll see you back here next week on the Quarterly Report. Bang. Everybody else, buckle up, baby, because... We're going to dive deep, man, because like you, I was super excited for the final season, right? Season seven left a lot to be desired. I wasn't really feeling that season with the exception of the Dothraki 
you know what I'm saying, taking charge and the old boy Night King throwing the javelin at one of the dragons. Quick aside, how do y'all Bamas know the names of the dragons? Like, not just the names, you can identify, oh, he got Drakkar or whatever, you know what I'm saying? How, did, how was it that you can identify the three? Like, y'all next level with it. I'm not knocking you. You feel me? I'm next level when it comes to the wire. We all have our things. I'm just curious. Because when I see the dragons, I'm like, okay. And then last week, when John, despite the fact that his entire family, the entire civilization is facing impending doom, he goes for a little quick, little quickie with Daenerys, and he's staring down one of the dragons. And I'm like, dog, one of them is orange? I didn't know. So... If y'all understand, if y'all can find a way to decipher between the, I was going to say the three, but between the two, let me know because I have no idea. Okay? Bomb. We're done with that. Back to the show. Leading up to Sunday, I was like, you know what? I got a bad feeling. Only because of all of my favorite characters, right? I like Tormon, I like uh, my man, uh, I can't even forget his name. I can't even remember his name. My man with the one who got his finger, who used to rock with Stan's, uh, Stannis. Um, Sir, Sir, Dor Sir Jorah. You know, I like him. Um, I like the Hound. You know, of all the characters that I like, I am convinced that they all will die. But my favorite character is Arya. And I, as we got approached the start of the new season, I was feeling more and more like, yo, She's not going to make it. She's just not going to make it. And, and I was feeling some type of way, Joe. I have resigned myself to the fact that every character, even the ones that I really, really like, will fall this season. And I get it. It's the show. That's how the show rocks, okay? But what I'm saying is, when it comes to Arya, you know, that's the one. You know, there are people who like, most people like Jon Snow, but there are people like me who don't like him. Some people like Cersei, believe it or not, but most people don't. And you can go down the line. Each character have a, each main character, I should say, because I'm rocking with uh, Grey Worm and Old Girl. I don't even remember, like, Melisandre. But I'm talking about the main characters, right? There's usually some type of split. Not necessarily a 50-50 split, but there is a divide between people who like them and don't. Sansa, same thing. Some people rock with her, some people don't. Tyrion, boom, same thing. There's only one character who is universally beloved. I haven't met a single person who has watched any significant amount of episodes of Game of Thrones who does not rock with Arya. She is the one that everybody likes. So, of course, that means she is the one who's got to go. And I'm going to feel some type of way about that, bro. I'm already getting myself ready because it's going to happen. But then on Sunday, Sunday, man, the masterminds of this show, shout out to them because the foreshadowing was on 10. It was impeccable. Sunday, leading up to the show, I'm thinking, okay, Ari is going to go. And then I start watching the episode. And then you see the reunion. Everybody's been waiting for John and Arya to reunite. And when it happens... It was a bit, it was a bit, you know, had some underlying tones, right? They gave each other a great hug. Bong, we was waiting. We was ready. We was wanting it. 
And then what started happening? John was like, yo, you still have needles? She's like, yeah. He was like, have you had to use it? She's like, once or twice? He's like, hopefully I never have to see it. Bong. Then she pulls out her sword, gives it to John to hold. I'm like, huh, okay. He, he's the one who gave it to her. I believe he had it made for her. So that makes sense. Then John takes his sword out and lets her hold it. So they have exchanged the weapons that they probably will use whenever they have to fight. It's going to happen, right? So Arya holds his sword. And she was like, Valerian Steel, just off the rip. It was like, oh, man, John, you, you, this is awesome for you. Happy. Nah, the first thing she says, Valerian Steel, she knows what time it is. We should all know what time it is. And then in case the first two pieces of foreshadowing weren't enough, and it was beautiful because it wasn't heavy-handed, but to me, it was as clear as day. I was already expecting Arya to go. I just didn't know how it was going to happen. But when I see this, all the light bulbs in my head start going off. And then they start talking about Sansa, right? And John is like, oh, man, you're defending Sansa? And Arya's like, I'm defending the Starks. And then John responds, well, I'm a Stark too. They hug each other, and the last word spoke was, don't forget it. Slim. And it wasn't like a, it was a, it wasn't, it's a threat when you, when I say it, right? When you just say that to someone, it sounds like a threat, but the, it was so dope. But when she said it, it was almost like it wasn't threatening when she said it. Though the words, if you read it, if you write it down, it will always come across as a threat. And that it was just done so magnificently, man. And I was like, bro, I don't know which one is going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be Arya to John or John to Arya. But one of them going down and it's going to be at the hands of the other. And man, how perfect is that when it all when you look at just this show? You feel me? That was my biggest takeaway from the entire episode. It was like, oh, John and Arya going to get it going. Like, we already know Danny and John are going to scrap it out. I feel like most of us understand that Tyrion is going to try to do something underhandedly to John. Here's another thing that I thought was super dope. First off, if I'm in Westeros and I see Bran's ass sitting there on a wooden chair, oh, he's the first one going. He's the first one going down. He's creepy little behind this pale looking around just looking i'm like bro how you moving so fast you got a wooden wheelchair john looked at him he was like slim you're a man now brand was like almost john gave him to look like what this creepy behind jamie oh man i would hit him up with a bow and arrow i wouldn't even step close to brand just hit it light him up it doesn't make any sense man he's just chilling you he cold, doesn't have any type of melanin in his body, pale, running a cloak. You understand? I don't know who cut his hair. In the beginning of the seasons, he had long hair. Now all of a sudden, I guess when you become the third eye raven, your hair just stops coming down. I don't know what the hell's going on. But if Brian's creepy behind would have been the first one gone. I'm thinking Brian or something. Something like that. Somebody's going to have to take Brand down because he's just nuts. He's too creepy. 
But those, I think, are little giveaways, right? When Bran saw John the first time, he he was like, when he saw John, he was happy, you know? He was happy when he saw him. So I was like, okay, this is something meaningful, right? Because Bran doesn't even care about people anymore like that. He wasn't anything when he saw uh, Arya, but he gave her the, the, the little dagger, which makes me think that Arya's going to be the one who kills the Night King. Also, real quick, I think they get Night King out of there real quick, bro. We've got five episodes left. I'm thinking Night King goes down by episode three or four. I don't think, he, like three, two or three, maybe three. He's not making it to the end of the season because so much happened so quick. I was not ready for them to tell John that he was the rightful heir of the king. I didn't think that was going to happen in the first episode. So to me, I'm thinking they get the Night, Qu- Night King and his army out of there real quick. And then the last two or so episodes are going to be based upon the interpersonal the, like drama. Who sits on the throne? Who handles the backstabbing and all this other stuff? How Danny and John respond to their incest. All that to me happens in episodes four and five. Episode three, oh yeah, Night King in there, out of there. Grand opening, grand closing, bro. It was nice to see you. Thank goodness for Hard Home. So hey, they better come with it, episode two. This upcoming Sunday, they gotta come with it. Because I don't think Night King sees many more episodes after that. We'll find out, man. Y'all can hold me to these. Again, these are just my theories. These are just my thoughts, right? But I think Arya takes care of the Night King. At least she gets him out of there. When Bran held, gave her the little dagger, bomb. Now, I don't know why Arya went to Gendry and asked for that other weapon. I don't know what, what, that, what that was. It, it probably is, I shouldn't say probably, it will be significant because it just was randomly tossed in there into everything, right? But I think Arya takes care of the Night King. I think Sansa ultimately ends up on the, the Iron Throne. Everything else, I'm all ears. I'm all ears, and I can't wait to see how it all unfolds. If you are a fan of Game of Thrones, let me know your thoughts. Hit me up on Twitter at Quarterly Report. I'm sorry, hit me up on Twitter at Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Let me know your thoughts. Do you agree with my theory that John and Arya are going to scrap it out, that one of them will kill the other, and that Sansa ultimately ends up on the Iron Throne. Maybe you disagree with me. You don't think that the Night King gets out of there real quick. Maybe you think he ends up on the Iron Throne. Whatever the case may be, let me know your thoughts, your theories. It's fun. We only got five more weeks. So hit me up on Twitter at Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show, or email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, guys, I want to thank my guest this week, Troy Halliburton. Always fun to chop it up with Troy. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Troy Halliburton. And guys, enjoy the rest of the playoffs, man. We've had some interesting first-round games thus far. This weekend are sure to be even more fun, even more eventful. And of course, we'll talk about all of that, plus the fight Saturday night next week on The Quarterly Report.